This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker. We have Mark McCabe, angel investor and operator. And by the operator means that Mark joined Airbnb really early on, so in 2011. And actually there he started a whole branch of Airbnb for business. So in this episode, we'll talk about both angel investing and working at those you know, big corporations and how you can actually start a new branch of the company within the company. And also one of the things we'll specifically discuss is how do you evaluate your company if you have no revenue whatsoever. So Mark, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Airbnb, I, I, I guess. <laughs> sure. Um, thanks for, first for having me on. Um, I'm very excited to, to chat with you today. Um, my background, well, you know, it kind of, like many people who, who worked in Silicon Valley, involves a little bit of luck and, and some hard work as well. Um, I, I first started out in technology working at Google based in Ireland. Um, eventually managed to move over to Silicon Valley where I worked at a seed stage fund called SV Angel um, for about a year and a half, close to two years. Um, and one of the companies I met during my time there was Airbnb. And um, I was just completely and immediately smitten with what Airbnb were doing um, from the first time I met Brian Chesky. Um, you know, I've backpacked um, quite a lot on my own. I've, I've actually moved around a lot with my family and, and lived in a lot of different parts of the world. And um, moving to America is, is a pretty challenging and daunting experience. If you don't have credit history or um, much of a history in the country, um, it could be tough to get your first lease on your apartment, get mm -hmm. even your first cell phone. And so when I met Brian, you know, what he was working on really spoke to one, what I think the potential of technology is to um, bring people together to make experiences um, better and easy, but then also spoke to me as, as someone who's traveled and visited a lot of different parts of the world, who's kind of learned that the most exciting thing about, about travel is really um, what you can unearth beneath the, the kind of um, skin level um, version that typical tourism gives you. And he was making that available for everyone, not just people who are willing to take um, that risk on. It, it, it could be easily accessible for my mother or my father. And, um, and so when I, I got the chance to join the company, it was probably the most excited I've ever been in my life. Um, I started out in business development there. And then, as you mentioned, I, I started uh, the first non-core product team, which was Airbnb for business uh, and grew that up for a few years um, before going on to work in the R&D group. Nice, nice. So before we jump into discussing your role at Airbnb, I would rather start by talking about SV Angels a little bit. So what was that fund focused on or was it an angel group, by the way? Yeah, SV Angels is a seed stage fund um, started by Ron Conway. Um, it's one of the uh, preeminent uh, seed funds in Silicon Valley. Ron's had incredible success investing in the early stages of Google, Facebook, Square, Dropbox, Airbnb, you can pretty much um, list a, a large chunk of the very successful unicorns in technology. And Ron has been involved in, in some way or another. Um, you know, they have quite a high volume approach. They make a lot of investments. Um, although I think their, their model may have changed a little bit in recent years. Um, they've had incredible success. And really, I think what I learned most from SV Angel is just how 
important uh, relationships are to to have incredible deal flow you know ron had had been really working on building a network in silicon valley for multiple decades even before he started um sv angel um had 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 kind of been able to um put himself in a position to really help entrepreneurs um connect with the companies um operators uh, uh technology tech tech talent um, that they needed to find. And, um, and, you know, he did that maybe without always having like the deepest technological understanding of what they were building, but having an incredible insight into founders and what kind of mentality it takes to be successful. Right. So the thing that really interests me in this specific case is that on our pre-interview call, you mentioned that you were basically looking at like 30 companies per week. I'm curious, how did you find those companies? So how do you source your deals there? A lot of it was inbound. Um, as I said, Ron had an extensive network, so we tended to to get a lot of deals sent to us. You know, I think in 2010, when I joined the fund, um, you know, there, there weren't quite as many seed stage options. Um, and certainly the one that maybe had the best brand recognition at the time was SV Angel. So, just naturally, we got a ton of deal flow. You know, we as um, partners in the fund, and you know, SV Angels maybe one of the funds that uses the term partner a little bit more high level. You know, really essentially, we were kind of associate principal level um, people, and our job was really to keep our ear to to the ground to make sure we knew um, every deal as as it was becoming an opportunity, um, and so. Through that process, I would say the vast majority of the deals that I looked at um, came from from the network that SV Angel had already established. But as as my time grew with the fund, perhaps there were more and more deals that I was sourcing myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Got it. So I would let's let's just one more question about SV Angels, and then we'll move on to Airbnb. I'm curious. So when you're saying that you're looking into deals, and you know you get a ton of uh, incoming deal flow your way. Uh, what are the major factors that you were looking at? So was it like month over month growth? Was it the revenue? Was it uh, the number of co-founders? What were the major factors that you were basically uh, looking at? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I like Truthfully, I think the first factor that we always looked at was team. You know, was this a team that had a deep understanding in the space they were going after and a combined set of skills that allowed them to execute on the product that they were trying to build. Um, I think that always came first and foremost. Um, I think referral source really did matter, especially with the network that Ron had built. You know, there were, if you were getting referred a deal in the travel space by a, a formerly successful travel entrepreneur, you know, that, that kind of covers a lot of the diligence points. And if anything, probably shows you that there's a deeper insight and analysis into what this founder is doing than, than you can even put together yourself, especially when you're investing across multiple sectors. Um, so I think those were really the first two diligence points that, that tended to be most important in filtering at a high level. I think once you get into the poll, you know, it really comes down to pattern recognition, you know, which founders seem to have a clarity of insight um of purpose around what they want to do what they think needs to be different and how they're going to execute on it um and and that really only comes becomes apparent i think once you've spoken to you know hundreds if not thousands of founders 
Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. And yeah, team is definitely the most essential part of it, I think, especially in the early stages. But now, now it's time to go into Airbnb. So can you tell us shortly that story of how you created a business basically within the business? So how did you create Airbnb for business? Yeah, it's a long story. So I'm going to try and, and, and not overwhelm you with all of the details. But I think it was around 2013. Um, you know, I was I had been working at Airbnb a couple of years at this point. Um, my first role really at the company was in, in business development. But at the time, Airbnb only had maybe 15 engineers. And, you know, the site was still going down periodically. And I remember my first week being told that, you know, I should absolutely not in any way consider pursuing opportunities which were going to require engineering bandwidth. Um, <laughs> so no APIs, um, no big custom business development deals that required key integrations. Um, and so, you know, I set myself really looking at payments, which was a huge kind of area of involvement of the company. If you think about Airbnb, really what it is, is um, a, a, a payment system that enables a travel experience. Um, and at the time there were a lot of things to optimize and um, especially around, you know, we were really starting to, to scale um, to quite a, a large point that, you know, we could, we could negotiate with our payment providers. We could set up pools of different currencies. Um, we could uh, start thinking about integrating um, payment solutions that would capture certain international markets that we were already growing well in and help us grow faster in those markets. Um, so I did a lot of work around that and then around verified ID. And But really what I wanted to do was help the company scale and, and fulfill its potential. And one thing that I started thinking about in kind of late 2013 was, you know, our entire company at Airbnb was using Airbnb exclusively for business travel. So all of our employees were staying in Airbnbs when they were traveling, but they were also using them for a wide variety of other use cases, whether it was offsites, um, relocations, um, even uh, community events. And, you know, I started to think this is actually something that I think most companies aren't really thinking about and how maybe they use Airbnb. But there had been some user research surveys that had been published internally at the time that said that roughly about, I think, 10, 11% of all of our um, travelers identified themselves as business travelers. So I started looking into it a little bit more and, you know, kind of realized, well, one, hotels are making a much larger chunk of their revenue from business travelers than Airbnb is, but we actually potentially offer more use cases to business travelers, um, but those just haven't really been heavily marketed yet. And um, so I started really pitching it internally that we shouldn't really treat every user exactly the same, that business travel users had somewhat different needs, but yes, they were a match for using properties on Airbnb, but they may want to see a different selection of properties and potentially even not be able to stay in some of the properties that we were marketing on our site. And so, um, you know, I was I kind of really doing a lot of political work at the start, trying to convince people, you know, Airbnb was kind of a very rebellious young company and uh, we didn't really like the idea of suits unless we were going to wear them ironically. And, um, and, and and business travel still had that connotation. And I remember doing a survey of yeah. um, users who identified themselves as business travelers. And one of the questions I asked was, you know, what what industry are you in? And, you know, having completed a thousand online forms, I put in the typical industries. Are you in finance? Are you in marketing? Are you in 
and technology are you in healthcare and uh, I had other as uh, maybe the 12th or 13th option and 50% of our travelers chose other what? and and I kind of opened my eyes that you know business travelers weren't just McKinsey Monday to Thursday you know typical loyalty point business travelers that we think of that a lot of people who <laughs> travel for business have a lot of different purposes around it and so you know, I, I I was able to to at a, a hackathon convince a, a number of, of people to help me put together a prototype of you know that kind of took together some of the feedback I'd been getting from businesses about what they wanted to see from Airbnb, and some of those involved you know small medium business typically not having corporate cards and so expensing Airbnbs was quite problematic. We actually have a quite unusual model compared to hotels where we actually bill you at the point of booking rather than at the at check-in. And so this means that for, you know, particularly strict companies that will only let you uh, pursue expenses once you've actually um, stayed at the location, mm -hmm. it made it quite hard for those people to, to claim expenses in orderly fashion. So I started actually running an invoicing product um, tracking different companies and their employees and allowing them to invoice centrally. Um, for those employees, I, I put together uh, what you call duty of care tracking systems for larger corporations, where really the issue is more about risk and knowing where employees are when they're traveling. And if, if those companies, those enterprises got that kind of level of tracking of knowing where their employees were in case of an emergency, then they could actually market Airbnb as an option for business travel internally. So I kind of turned some of our larger customers into growth engines and um, and, and, you know, it really started to pick up. Um, I think I signed up the first 200, 300 companies largely on my own with a bit of help from, from an nice. intern that I was luckily uh, able to get that summer. Um, huh. I was able to conclude a partnership with her who kind of one of the larger business travel expense management companies. And uh, from there, I started getting resources internally, built out a team um, focused on SMB and, and later enterprise and, um, and, and, and the product and marketing team as well. So it, it was an incredibly exciting experience. I think really the takeaways for, for people who are, you know, looking for what they can do within companies is, you know, you really always have to add value. You have to look right. at where, what the data and what you can learn, especially in those first six months where, especially when you're joining a startup, what you're doing, your role, sometimes it's not always entirely clear and it requires you sometimes to make something of it. And so, I would encourage you to kind of really familiarize yourself with what's happening um, at an intricate level within the company, what engineers are saying about the things they're building, what design researchers are saying about their conversations with users, try to use the product and talk to users as much as you can yourself. And when you see an opportunity, you know, don't feel confident that people inside the business want to know what the opportunities are and why they might be really powerful it won't always happen right away you might um you know encounter pushback early on while trying to develop these concepts but um if you take it step by step and you just prove it out point by point you know you can build traction and and and, and mm -hmm. have real value to a company right so here i actually want to go a little bit back to what you said and it's to the point where you said you signed up roughly 100 or 200 uh, first businesses yourself, basically. I'm curious, how have you done it? So 
how do you how did you manage to get those very first clients? Because you know most of my listeners are uh, early stage entrepreneurs, and that's the major struggle that they have. You know, signing up those first ten and then hundred first customers. You know, I don't want to make it sound too easy. I think what, I was very fortunate in that Airbnb was just rising from you know kind of curious, funny tech company. No one's really sure if it's really going to become a big thing. I think especially in the investment community, most people are thinking, sleep on someone's couch? I'm not going to go do that, even though maybe that's really <laughs> what, not what Airbnb was about. But um, from a travel perspective, we were a really exciting company. And from a technology perspective, you know, a lot of the people who worked inside of tech companies knew Airbnb, knew that we were exciting and, and growing very quickly. And so to that extent, it opened a lot of doors for me um, in speaking with early customers. That being said, I was very fortunate to have built the network that I did while at SV Angel. Um, that certainly opened a lot of doors. And I think going to your network in the early days is essential to get your first few customers on board. Once you do have a few customers with some recognition in the greater world, you know, you've got to make sure you build really strong relationships because you are going to lean on those customers as testimonial, as proof point, as validation time and time again. And so, you know, one thing I think that I maybe realized early on is that the folks who organize travel options within companies are not the most celebrated people within organizations. And one policy <laughs> I had early on was to make travel managers, HR execs, anyone who was responsible for travel, sort of a hero within their business and really show an interest in the challenges that they dealt with. And in doing so, I think one, I learned a lot about what we needed to build. And I also won over a lot of people who ended up being advocates for, for what we were doing and, and helping to kind of um, um, give us more validation in the business travel space. That's a really nice approach. So now that we've talked about the Airbnb, super exciting story, by the way. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Uh, I want to move on to your angel investing experience right now. So right now, as I understand, you're mainly doing angel investing, right? Yeah, I'm actually in the process of setting up a, a seed stage fund in Europe. I recently oh, moved nice. back to Europe from San Francisco. Um, I, I am also a Sequoia Scout, so I, I, I still invest in the U.S. typically out of the Scout Fund. Um, and I, I've, I've angel invested in a number of different ways um, prior to me setting up this fund. Um, I used to set up um, syndicate-level funds on AngelList um, with a friend of mine, Brad Flora. So we would, we would raise a million, two million dollars and, and invest it in Y Combinator batches. And we would do this batch after batch, and it really helped me build up a pretty substantial track record of my own level investing because, you know, SV Angel was such a collaborative um, approach, and I was quite a junior member of that team. Um, but it helped me build up a portfolio of investment decisions that I've been able to, to build on ever since. That's really cool. And we're not going to go really in depth into the syndicates that you mentioned, because that's more interesting like for me as from the structural perspective, but not really for my listeners. I'm more curious here. Uh, what did you invest in right now? I mean, most recently. So you mentioned YC batches, which is one way. Uh, did you invest in anything else? Maybe some specific field uh, or some specific stage? 
You know, typically I am fairly space agnostic. There are certainly some spaces where I know enough to know that I, I don't know enough to be investing. So I tend to <laughs> right. healthcare, really deep tech plays, um, anything that's too deep in the stack um, where I, I really just don't have a lot of experience. Um, and I tend to focus more on consumer. SaaS is, is something that's that's worth discussing in particular, you know, I tend to find I have a pretty good feel on SaaS companies, despite the fact I haven't worked at one before. And I think that's something that having experience at a quick growing startup can be incredibly beneficial to. And, um, you know, you tend to use a lot of emerging tools. You tend to have opportunities to speak to a lot of technology companies that are trying to sell tools into a company like Airbnb. And in doing so, you get a pretty good map of, what kind of tools are helpful, what kind of things different teams within a fast growing company need um, on the cutting edge. And, um, and so like, I've, really, um, I, I've really gained a lot, I think, by building teams with their, within Airbnb in terms of, of that uh, ability to spot opportunities in, in SaaS tools. Mm -hmm. And what are the major things that you're looking at in the company besides the team? Because we've already discovered that while we were discussing SV Angels. Pardon, could you repeat that question? Sorry. What are the major things that you're looking at in the company when you're considering it for investment? Uh, yeah, so first thing I still look at, and this goes back to my SV Angel days, is the team. Um, you know, again, like you're asking someone to, for the next year and a half, get to a milestone whereby they can raise capital again. That's really the game of investing in a startup. Like, are they going to be able to achieve what they want to achieve? Is that valuable? Is it putting them on a path to building an enormous business? And so the team and what they're trying to do is incredibly important. I think market size, you know, obviously is something that's very important, but I put team first because I think sometimes the market focus can shift in that first year. Sometimes, uh, you know, with companies like Uber, for example, where, you know, obviously the market for taxi cabs was quite large, but I think the market that Uber have opened up is, is factors larger than what the taxi market was before they existed. So you have to have some creativity perhaps in how you view things. But the one area that I think you can't really skimp on is, are this team with this capital going to be able to achieve something that allows them to continue scaling the business and raise more capital? And at the seed stage, that's that's something I look at really, really carefully. You know, is it a founder that I'm going to want to work for that I know is going to take the introductions, the network, the capital that I can provide them and, and turn it into something that's so much more than that um, and, and work very hard at it. So that, that tends to be the first thing that, that I really focus on. I think sometimes, you know, there are certain spaces where I have a keener understanding and I will really trust my own viewpoint on whether the approach that a, a founder is taking makes a lot of sense. And certainly I'll, I'll, I'll ask questions about that in nearly every pitch, but um, you know, most, most often I think that actually founders probably have more expertise in a given space than the fund or the investor that they're speaking with as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So the thing that I mentioned in the very beginning of the episode that I want to discuss is justifying the valuation of the company with no revenue. I do not really remember why exactly I had this with this question, but 
I'm pretty sure I had a good reason. So what do you think about this question? How, how do you justify the valuation of the company in those early stages when you have literally zero revenue and very poor you know, track record, basically? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a question we probably won't be able to answer on this podcast. It's, it's, uh, it's very, <laughs> I mean, valuations in seed stage tech companies are, um, are a really strange thing to consider. You know, two people with an idea, potentially and often pre-product, pre-traction, why is that worth eight, 10, $12 million cap, $15 million cap or more? And the truth is that the, the price of valuations isn't really about traction at seed stage. It's much, I mean, it can be about traction and traction can be an influential part of why the valuation is so sky high. Um, but often it's really, it's the market. It's investor interest in what you're trying to do, what other founders are being able to raise at and what valuations are being able to raise at. And, and what does that mean for what you're particularly bringing to the table? So if you are bringing a seasoned entrepreneur who's had multiple successful exits, they are going to be considered de-risked compared to a founder who's coming off the street with no experience, having not worked at a large tech company, maybe just graduating out of college, starting a company. So there's, there's a number of different factors like that. I think there are also some potentially, you know, hyped up spaces where if a particular entrepreneur is attacking it um, in a way that's quite novel, that's another element that can drive up evaluation. Um, and yeah, for sure, like it is increasingly easy or not easy, <laughs> that's the wrong word, possible for founders to develop traction at a very early stage, maybe even before they raise any capital at all. And so in those situations, there are relative signs that a founder really knows what they're doing, that they've tapped into a market that is potentially undeveloped um, and that, that they've shown a lot of resourcefulness in being able to do this without much capital. Um, and, and those things can also impact the valuation. You know, there are a lot of other things that, that I think impact valuation that maybe shouldn't, you know, did they come out of a formerly successful company? Well, yeah, but maybe that doesn't tell you a lot about whether they're going to be a successful founder, but you know, a lot of funds, they do like to invest in the ex Uber, the ex Airbnb, the ex Facebook engineer going off to start um, a new product as well. Right, right, right. So we're moving here to the to the end of our episode, and I have two more questions for you. So one of the pre last uh, I'm phrasing it really wrong, but <laughs> one of the questions is, what's your recommendation to people trying to raise now during this pandemic? So a lot of early stage founders, you know, pre seed seed stage, those that we've just discussed, you know, those who cannot really, who don't even know why their companies valued anything because they don't have revenue yet or much of the product done. What's your recommendation to them in terms of raising? Well, I think you, you need to know what investors what want to invest in. Like, I, I don't think you should really think of this time during this pandemic as being some limiting function. Actually, if anything, it might produce an explosion of entrepreneurship as people start to think, okay, well, maybe now is the time to go do what I've always wanted to do. Um, and, you know, you saw that around, I think, the, the, the Great Recession in 2008, 2009, 2010. A lot of amazing companies were born in that time. Um, and because there's just a lot of opportunity to disrupt the status quo, um, to, to take a risk, 
and to go and try and do something. So I don't think now is a particularly bad time to raise seed capital. You know, I think there was a bit of a lull in, in early, mid-February when funds were trying to just do triage and figure out, one, how they could help their portfolio companies manage this crisis, but also, you know, what it meant for their funds and whether they should be holding gunpowder dry or whether they should be jumping in with both feet. Um, and I think in March and April, you started to see really funds get incredibly active. There were a lot of Series A deals. There were a lot of companies that were able to raise capital from early all the way to very late stages. And, you know, I think investors felt that there was an opportunity potentially to get into businesses that they might not have been able to get into um, previously if, if some funds were going to be sitting on the sidelines. Um, so now is not a bad time to be raising capital. And if you don't have revenue, you've really just got to think about a few things. One, what does your team bring to the table? Two, what do you understand about this market that other people don't? Y Combinator, for your listeners who maybe don't know, is you know one of the, the most successful early stage incubators on the planet. And the thing that they really look for a lot, and they're seeing founding teams as early as anyone sees them, like often you know, when the idea is really just being formed. And, and the thing that they look for the most is insight. Like, what is it that you understand about this right. space and how, yeah. how clear are you in conveying what you understand in terms of the opportunity? And, and being very tight and synthesized on that is something that I, I still see a lot of startups struggle with. I think some startups, you know, have an instinct about a product and they trust that, that instinct and they're willing to pursue it. Are they able to synthesize it into something that makes strategic and business sense? And that is often something that I think is missing at the seed stage and actually something that a lot of very successful companies have stumbled into, have discovered along the way, not by accident, but, you know, maybe by a course of just, you know, really believing in their intuition. Um, but being able to explain that and being incredibly clear about that up front, that's something that investors really crave, I think, when they're talking to founders. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, good response. And I think for those people who have not tried filling out the YC application, you should definitely try it. I mean, even if you know you're not going to get there, first of all, you never know that. But secondly, it just gives you tons of uh, you know food for thought. So highly recommend you filling it out. And here we're moving on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So what's that one thing that you would like the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? <laughs> um, well, if you're starting a company, I certainly want to hear from you, uh, especially if you're in Europe, but I am still investing in the US. Um, and so, you know, feel free to email me, mark.mckay.gmail.com. Um, I, I, I greatly welcome anyone who wants to send me um, their pitch. And, you know, if you're looking for more support on fundraising, I actually did uh, not to plug another podcast um, on your airtime here, Constantine, but I, I did a podcast <laughs> uh, last summer on Below the Line, which, which is a two and a half hour in-depth view into fundraising. And um, perhaps you'll find it helpful as you, as you go along the way. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely make sure I include the link to that podcast, even though it's kind of competitive. But, you know, I'm a nice person, <laughs> so I'll definitely include it in the description of this episode. So if you want to learn more and more in depth, not in like 30 minute episode, definitely take a look at it. 
Um, we'll wrap it up here. My call to action, go to the description of this episode, check it out. I'll include a couple more links. So there will be definitely something fun for you there.